If you have a Bible, uh, would you like to open it up? Uh, we are, oh yes, the youth are going to go down as well. Well done, everyone. Well done, Marcus. You look like you've got a full, you've got your hands full today, uh, which is exciting. Uh, we are today looking at Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, uh, verses 1 to 9. Mark 14, 1 to 9. Jesus anointed at Bethany. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout our world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that this year we would go deeper and deeper into your word, individually and as a church, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, may I extend my uh, warm wishes at the start of this new year. I hope your new year has kicked off to a good start. 2024, how's everyone feeling? It's one week in. can't quite believe that that's happened already. But whatever you're feeling, the start of a new year is always a great opportunity to look forward at all the possibilities, all the potential uh, that a new year brings. And certainly Emily and I are very excited. We're expectant uh, really to see what God has in store for us, particularly as we move forward with our vision to see faith rise, the church rise, and the city rise. And for some of us, I know traditionally this is a time of year for New Year's resolutions, uh, stopping the junk food, starting a new exercise regime, whatever it is for you. Apparently, according to one study conducted by Forbes, the most enthusiastic goal setters geographically in 2024 are in Liverpool, the Liverpudlians. Uh, second to the Liverpudlians are us Londoners, with just under 40% of people all starting to change their patterns of behavior at the start of a new year, looking for New Year's resolutions. But of course, so many of our well-intended New Year's resolutions fall by the wayside, I think partly because they are deeply ingrained in our habits, the things that we do or don't do fairly automatically. We all know, don't we, bad habits are hard to break and good habits are hard to build. 
And so often I think that's because our resolutions, the things we want to change in our life, they're often focused on what we do rather than who we want to become. For instance, I'm going to go to the gym or I'm going to give up eating chocolate rather than I'm going to become a healthier person or I'm going to become more positive in 2024. I don't know if you've come across James Clear, his book, Atomic Habits. In that book, he says, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. The important question, therefore, is not what do you want to do in 2024, but who do you want to become? And for us together as a community, as a church, who are we? Who do we want to become in 2024? One of our values as a church is generosity, a reflection ultimately of the generosity of God. That famous verse, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I certainly want to be a little bit more generous in 2024. Uh, A while ago, Emily and I were challenging each other to be more generous. And one time it was my turn to go and do the weekly shop. And so as I was walking out uh, with my shopping list, Emily said, hey, why don't you pay for somebody else's shopping in Sainsbury's? And I thought, okay, I I can have a go at doing that. Do you know, it it was actually a bit harder to do than I was expecting. I got to the shops, I was going around the shops, then suddenly I got all anxious and I thought, what do I do now? I don't don't want to go to one of the aisles where someone's got like a massive trolley. (laughs) Equally, I don't want to be stingy and just get in the basket aisle. So I thought, well, I'll just go somewhere, just see if the Lord leads me. And there was this one lady who was standing there and I thought, well, she looks you know, like an unsuspecting victim that I can go towards. And I went up to her and I said, can I pay for your shopping? In that moment, her huge boyfriend came out of the light bulb aisle and uh, walked towards us. And he sort of got in front of her and said, what what are you doing? I said, well, uh, I, I, I just wondered if I could pay for your shopping. And he said, well, why would you want to do that? I said, well, I hadn't really thought why particularly, but I sort of used what Emily said. And I said, well, I just, I'd, sort of like to learn to be a bit more generous and he said oh no we couldn't possibly let you do that so anyway they went through they paid and they walked off but the cashier had seen what had happened in our conversation and she said what's going on I said well I just want to be a bit more generous and I thought I could maybe pay for somebody else's shopping just you know once I don't do this normally but maybe today and she said wow that's amazing somebody else came up behind me and I said what do you think shall I ask this person she said yeah go on So the person who was coming up the aisle, I said, I wondered if I could pay for your shopping. Immediately, he started looking around for TV cameras. (laughs) You know, as if something weird was going on. I said, no, honestly, look, you can just pay and and I'll, you know, you, you put your stuff through and I'll pay for it. So he sort of plucked up the courage to trust me, and uh, we did that, and I paid for his shopping. It wasn't very much. I think, as I remember, it was about £12. Uh, I think there was a sort of 
bar of chocolate and a CD or something like that in those days, the old days, uh, when we bought CDs. And uh, he walked off. The cashier said to me, I can't believe you've done that. You are the kindest person that I've ever met. Do you know, I just thought it was about for 12 pounds. And as I was having this conversation with her, uh, this man walked back and he tapped me on the shoulder and he said, I don't know why you did that today, but I've been going through the hardest time in my life and you've restored my faith in humanity. And you know, and I just thought, all for 12 pounds. I want to grow in generosity. I've never met a generous person who's unhappy. Usually, they're the most positive and joy-filled people. However, I have met some unhappy people who aren't very generous. As we step into this new year, it's our prayer, really, that as a church, we would grow in character to be more generous. We want to be unpacking this whole theme. What does the Bible have to say to us over this term around the subject of generosity? What does it look like for us to be generous with our money and our finances, with our time, but also being generous with our love in our relationships, with our friends, our family, our work colleagues, people at school, at university, wherever we find ourselves, maybe in our streets, Generous with our welcome, generous with our hospitality, generous in serving one another, our city and our community. All of these areas can only thrive and flourish when we first fully understand God's generous love for each one of us. That's the thing that in turn compels us to be generous towards God Generous towards others, but particularly generous in our thanksgiving and in our worship. And in this uh, story that we read from Mark's gospel, here we get front row seats on one of the most generous acts of worship in the whole of the New Testament. We read that Jesus is in the last two weeks of his life. He'll soon be facing the cruelty of the cross. It's Passover. People are gathering Uh, the whole Jewish nation, really celebrating, feasting, looking back at the freedom and the captivity, uh, freedom from captivity that they have been won. It's a time of great hope. And Jesus is invited to dinner at Simon the leper's house. This is Simon's expression of generosity towards Jesus in response to Jesus' miraculous healing of him from leprosy, and into this relaxed scene, breaking with all convention, this unnamed woman bursts in. From John's account of this story, we know this was Mary, Mary the sister of Martha and Lazarus, who Jesus had raised from the dead. And John's account says this, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, She poured it on Jesus, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. In Mark's gospel, it says she broke the alabaster jar and poured the perfume on Jesus' head. She breaks it open. She's so desperate to show Jesus her love and her devotion. 
She's not ashamed. She's free. She's not measured. She's passionate. She's not reserved. She holds nothing back. She pours it all out on Jesus as an act of generous and extravagant worship. Love makes you do crazy things. Anyone here in love? All the men are like, oh my goodness, I better put my hand up, <laughs> particularly if I'm married. <laughs> love makes you do crazy things. When Emily and I first got married, we'd, uh, when we first fell in love, sorry, we'd, we'd stay up late talking till the early hours of the morning. I remember once we were in Emily's car and we ran the car battery down because we'd left the ignition on and the radio going. We'd get up early in the morning to watch the sunrise. You give up sleep for love. We spent all of our time together. We walked together. We talked together. We'd write each other little notes and poems. And we found different ways of connecting with one another. Uh, One time, uh, I discovered this yesterday because Emily pulled out this box and she'd kept all of this stuff. I'd written this long note to Emily on her toilet paper. So that when she was sitting on the toilet, she would take it down and there would be a note from me. I mean, how romantic is that? I've still got a lot to learn. Simply, I just wanted her to know that I loved her. Falling in love makes you do crazy things. It makes you do things that you might not ordinarily do. It's the same in our relationship with God in different ways, becoming lovers of Jesus, particularly in our culture, looks like foolishness. When David danced before the Lord in the Old Testament, his wife, Mika, thought he was making a fool of himself. But he responded to her and said, I'll be even more undignified than this. You see, it's our love that is the difference between religion and Christianity. Tim Keller, in his book, The Reason for God, he says this, While the moralist is forced into obedience, motivated by fear of rejection, a Christian rushes into obedience, motivated by a desire to please and become like the one who gave his life for us. This year... Whatever your resolutions, let's make it our goal to fall more in love with Jesus. To become lovers of him. What does this story teach us about how we can be generous in our love towards God? Three very quick things. First, generous worship is costly. Mary didn't bring a little. She brought a lot. In fact, she gave everything she had. She gave it all. Some commentators suggest that this alabaster jar of expensive perfume was an heirloom passed down through generations in her family. And not only did it have monetary value, uh, we read in one of the Gospels that it was worth a year's wages, 300 denarii. Typically, one day's work was one denarius. As well as monetary value, it also had tremendous sentimental and symbolic value. Perhaps in that sense, this alabaster jar of perfume 
was priceless. On November the 18th, 2023, the most expensive bottle of whiskey was sold at a Sotheby's auction for $2.7 million. Before going to auction to ensure that it was the original liquid, the potential buyers were allowed to extract one milliliter of the whiskey to test it. Now, I don't quite know how 300 denarii translates into today's money. But the point is this. If Mary owned that 80-year-old bottle of whiskey, she would have poured it all out for Jesus. Being generous isn't measured by numbers, but by love. True worship, our worship is costly. It always involves sacrifice. This was what King David understood in the Old Testament when he said, I won't give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Jesus deserves our very best, even if it costs us. Maybe like getting up early to pray. Joining us next week could be a good start for that. Maybe as a church, serving in some way, serving one another. Those things that are in some way costly to us, but are our fragrant offering of worship to him. Worship that means something costs something. Generous worship is costly. The second thing we see is that generous worship is a choice. There's a whole number of different responses and reactions in this story. Uh, In verse 4, it says, Some were indignant and thought it was a waste. This money could have been, this perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor. Rather than appreciating this generous act of worship, these men are indignant, they're angry, they're offended. And we don't really know why that is. Maybe because she'd broken all the normal conventions of their current culture. They were offended. She was a woman in a man's world. Perhaps they genuinely did have a heart for the poor. Maybe they were confused. Didn't God love the poor? Doesn't he have a special place for the poor? Well, of course he does. So what is happening here? Maybe it was her generous worship that exposed their lack of generosity. Or maybe their inability to see that they too were in the presence of a king. I wonder what the things are that sometimes prevent us from bringing our generous worship. Maybe do we find ourselves sometimes judging others in their generous worship. In the face of criticism, Mary places all her affections on Jesus. He becomes, in that moment, her number one priority. And somehow Mary knew that this symbolic, generous act was more than just an act. It was akin to anointing him, coronating him as king. But this wasn't to be done by a priest or by a prophet, but by a woman. Mary instinctively goes right to the heart 
of things, cutting through all the male objections on the one hand and their plots on the other, the priests, the Pharisees, the disciples. Once again, it seems like the women are right. And these men are rebuked. They rebuke her harshly, but Jesus responds differently. He responds with kindness, with love, affirmation, and gentleness. He says, leave her alone. She has done a beautiful thing to me. You see, what these men call waste, Jesus calls worship. What these men call worthless is all because he is worthy. And Jesus holds Mary up as an example for all of us to be generous in our worship, individually and as a church. To whom much is given, much is required. And together we're called to respond in our worship out of what God has first and foremost done for each one of us. Our worship is a response to a revelation. It's our response to the overtures of the Father's love. Jesus says, whoever has been forgiven much, loves much. Do we know what God has done in each of our lives through Jesus? See, it's when we catch a glimpse of the the might, the majesty, and the magnificence of who Jesus is. We can't help but be generous in our worship of him, to show him the extent of our love. Let's choose today to prioritize loving him with all that we have. Generous worship is costly. Generous worship is a choice. And finally, generous worship changes the world. Jesus says in verse 9, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Whatever she has done will be told in memory of her. I find that amazing to think that this simple act of generous worship has been told throughout all generations, wherever the gospel is preached. So much so that we're still talking about it today. Over 2,000 years on, over 2,000 miles away. And the fundamental reason for this is because this woman, Mary, knew that she was in the presence of a king. And she was in the presence of a king who was worthy and who would die on a cross for the sake of the whole world. That's why whenever this gospel was preached in the whole world, her generous, loving, costly worship would be remembered and recognized. You see, her worship is our welcome into the kingdom through the cross of Jesus Christ. And this costly sacrifice poured out on the one who himself would be poured out as a costly sacrifice for you and for me. This was the thing that was to change the whole world. And this truth, that's the thing that should impact our worship. It should impact the way that we worship as a church. And it doesn't just stop at our worship. Our worship becomes a witness to the world. 
Theologian Frederick Bruner, he says this, Nothing is more important for the renewal of the world than the church's renewal in worship. For here we are at the center, and here the faithful receive their energies for mission to the world. This is why we believe that prayer and worship are the foundation of everything that we do. This is why the Christian faith, more than anything, is about our hearts being turned towards God. We want to prioritize prayer and worship right at the start of this year because we want to put Him first. First and foremost, we want to be lovers of Jesus. We need to pray. If there was ever a time that we needed to pray, it's now. All that's going on around our world. But more than that, when we pray, when we worship, it changes us. We become more like him. We become like what we worship. This story, Mark's gospel here, fundamentally it's a call to worship. This is a call to us as a church. Who do we want to become in 2024? Let's be worshippers of Jesus, lovers of Jesus. Before anything else, let's be a church that falls more in love with him. And as the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, let's learn to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we do pray that you would captivate our hearts. Captivate our hearts with the wonder of who you are. We pray for each one of us that you would reveal again your majesty, your might, your magnificence. And would you teach us to worship you in spirit and in truth. In your precious name we pray. Amen.